Romans chapter 12, the first couple verses. And we're continuing in a series of messages focusing on home, but how home for a follower of Jesus is not what most people would probably think that it is. Rather, our home is based on Jesus and where he takes and carries us in life. And often that can be not where we expect it to be. So would you join me as we look through these first couple of verses of Romans chapter 12? This is the Apostle Paul writing to a group of followers of Jesus in Rome. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Would you join me in prayer as we continue? Father God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are good, that you're loving, that you're compassionate. Father, we're grateful that you have sent your son to come and live among us and show us the fullness of what it looks like to live life the way that you designed it. Father, we know that our life strays far from you often. We ask that as we look at these two verses this morning, that you, your spirit would translate them, not just to be words on the page written hundreds of years ago, but that they would impact the way we view life here and today, that you would translate them to the everyday details of our life. It's by the power of your spirit and through your son, Jesus, that we pray this. Amen. GPS and driving according to GPS has become something that most of us are probably used to at this point. Like a lot of people I know can't get anywhere unless they have a GPS. But I remember the earlier versions of a GPS where you still had to have the actual separate unit in your vehicle. And I don't remember a whole lot about this particular time, but I do remember that there's this highway on the west side of where I grew up. And I was driving along and the GPS all of a sudden it's like the road goes this way. And we're driving in what looks like a big green field. And what had happened is that the GPS hadn't updated yet for this new four-lane highway that had gone in. And so as far as the GPS is concerned, I'm just driving in a field. But I knew that I wasn't. Maybe you've had a similar experience with that before. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, the map is not the territory? It's maybe not the most common phrase, but I'm guessing some of you have heard of it. The map is not the territory. It's a phrase that Polish-American thinker Alfred Korzybski coined. The idea behind the phrase is that maps are visual translations of geography. They aren't the geography itself. They're a visualization of it. Maps try to capture the characteristics of an actual physical reality, but in the end, they're just representations which means that they can be flawed, distorted, outdated, skewed, details could be left out, etc. This is just like the outdated GPS map that skewed my translation of reality when I was driving. As much as maps can give us a sense of the characteristics of a physical location, they can never fully convey what the actual location is like. So too, Korzybski applies this idea to the mental maps of how people view the world. We all live in reality. It's an actual place. Like, we can touch and feel it. It's not like an imaginary thing. But we all translate how to live and interact in this reality in different ways. 
We all have our own mental map through which we translate reality. And our maps are painted by experiences, by our failures, by our successes, by our hurts and pains and losses. Our past and our surroundings paint our mental map of how we view the world and how we guide ourselves through the world. We all have a mental map through which we translate reality. And most of our interactions with each other are probably mostly a clashing or comparison or interacting with each other's mental map of reality. Like, I see this this way. Do you see it this way? That's often what a lot of our life is, is it's comparing the mental maps of how we view reality. The temptation, though, for each of us is that we can believe that our mental map is the territory. We are tempted to believe that our mental map isn't just a map. We believe our mental map is reality. Meaning we are tempted to believe that our perception of reality is reality. That any other perception of reality is wrong. That it's not truthful. That only our perception of reality is right and truthful. But God's word calls us to understand things differently. God's word calls us to recognize that our perception of reality is distorted. God's word calls us to consider a different way to view the world. God's word calls us to consider a view of the world that is full, that is clear, clearer than we've ever seen, and that we could ever see on our own. God's word calls us to consider the truth of reality as it is from his perspective, from God's perspective. The truth of reality as it is lived in and through the life of Jesus. The good news that God's word has for us is that we can see the truth of reality just as God sees it. But the only way that we can see it is through our life being transformed by God's spirit. The only way that we can see the truth of reality is to offer ourselves to God with every breath of life. To see the truth of reality, offer yourself to God with every breath. To see the truth of reality, offer yourself to God with every breath. Recently, my oldest son, Pace, put on an old pair of my wife's glasses, and he's been wearing them around just for play. And I remember doing the same thing when I was his age, and I have never needed glasses uh, for my eyesight. But I, rem- I do remember as a kid, when I put on like my grandma's glasses or my dad's glasses, I was amazed how blurry the world seemed. Putting on glasses distorted my view of reality. The image, this image describes what happened to us when we separated ourselves from God and his ways. In Genesis chapter 3, we encounter Adam and Eve being tempted to believe the lie that partaking in the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil would give them life. That they could know good from evil on their own, rather than receiving that knowledge directly from God. So when they're partaking in the fruit, they separated their life from God's life. Along the course of our lives, we too are tempted to think that our ways are better than God's ways. But the separation of our lives from God fractures or distorts our perception of reality. We began to see the world with a deceptive mental map. A map based on the lie that we know the ins and outs of everything about life. As if we created it. As if we know everything there is to know about it. And not only did it distort how we see the world around us, but it distorts how we interact in this world. And living according to a lie has had negative and even deathly 
consequences. God even warned of this to Adam and Eve. He says, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, they didn't fall over dead while munching on the fruit of that tree. But what did happen was a cascading of events that would lead to their falling apart, their leading, their, a path leading to their death, and the things around them falling apart and decaying. This is how the Apostle Paul describes things um, earlier in Romans, in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, where he says, For the wages, or the end result, the end of the path, if you will, of sin, of separating ourselves from God, is death. Separating our life from God leads to death. Because we separate ourselves from the one who is life itself. So living according to our distorted perceptions of life, according to our distorted mental maps, has life-threatening consequences. Not only for ourselves, but also for those around us. We see these consequences all around us right now, where distorted views of what life is actually degrade life, robbing people of the fullness of life in which God created it for you, me, and everyone else. Many of you know that I got my first uh, drone this past Christmas, and I have been getting into that hobby. One thing that I have that I have learned with flying a drone is that it's not if I will crash it, but when I would crash it. And that happened to me for the first time a couple months ago. If you want to see that video, I can point you toward it on the Internet. But knowing this will likely happen to drone pilots, the manufacturer of my particular drone offers a plan where they will replace the drone if you crash it, if you've bought the plan. I didn't buy the plan. But what is interesting about the program is that they don't just fix the drone that you crash. They replace it with a completely brand new one. We'll come back to this in a little bit. In Romans 12, verse 1, where Paul references God's mercy, he precludes those words by saying, therefore, or in light of, if you will. The remaining of verses 1 and 2 go on to instruct the reader or the listener what to do and how to act. But what they are instructed to do is only in light of God's mercy. What is that? What is, what's going on here? What is this God's mercy that Paul is referencing here? Paul is referencing the rescue mission that Jesus enacted on our behalf. When we broke away from God's life and our life crashed, God sent his son, Jesus, to take on human flesh. But in doing so, Jesus encountered the inadvertent consequences of people who have separated themselves from God. Rather than recognizing Jesus as God and their distorted view and humanity's distorted worldview, we view Jesus as a threat. And those in Jesus' day, when he was walking on the earth, felt the same way, which eventually led to them killing him. But three days later, Jesus arose to life. But something was different this time. This time, Jesus didn't just have the typical fleshly human experience that you and I know of. Rather, Jesus arose with a glorified human body. Jesus wasn't just given his life back in repaired form. Rather, Jesus was given his life back in glorified form, renewed form, if you will. Something far better than it was before. 
an eternally fitted body. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 40, Paul says this, The splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, but the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. So meaning, your earthly body is one kind, and a heavenly or glorified body, like we see Jesus resurrected with, is something very different. This wasn't just a repair job, it was a transformation, or something new that came about. This is a heavenly life that isn't subject to death anymore. That's the biggest difference. And it's this new life that God offers to each and every one of us who would unite our life to the life of Jesus. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 9 through 10. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril. There's that path leading to death that was mentioned earlier. Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, we, there, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life, a new life, not a repaired life, a new life. United with Christ's death and baptism, trusting God to raise us to new life like he did for Jesus. God didn't have to do any of this for us, but he was merciful to us. And he made a way for us to experience an even better life than what we forfeited when we broke away from him and his ways. Many of you know that I did gymnastics when I was in high school. And in gymnastics, most of the flips and tricks can't happen unless a gymnast offers their whole self to the flip or the trick. When I was in high school, I had a release move on the high bar, so that's where you're letting go of the bar <laughs> and then re-catching it. And mine was pretty simple. Basically, you like threw the bar under you, and then you had to turn, and then you would catch it on the other side. But the idea was that your whole body had to kind of go over the bar. In order to make this particular move work, I would need to release the bar before my body actually was completely over the bar. But I was not a big fan of coming in contact with a big metal bar in the air. Like, I don't think most people are. I was pretty fearful. So, like, I wasn't the best gymnast when it comes to this kind of stuff. So I would usually, like, throw my head when I would do the trick or my body. Like, it it was never my whole body. It was always just part of me. But then that set my body, like, way over the bar to where I couldn't do the trick. Because I wouldn't offer my whole self to it. I'd only offer like, well, my hands can go over, my feet can go over, my head can go over, but I'm not going to do like everything at the same time. Similarly, when I was in college, I taught a tumbling class to a group of cheerleaders. Somehow I got roped into doing this. I'm not sure how, but I did. And I was teaching them how to do a front flip into a foam pit. So this wasn't onto the hard surface. It was into the nice soft surface. But one thing that I told these cheerleaders that the most basic concept of a front flip is go all the way over. You can't stop partway through. If you stop partway through, bad things are going to happen. So I don't care if you go all the way just to your back, go all the way over. Well, this one girl ran down the floor, jumps in the air, starts flipping. She's upside down. And as she's upside down, stops, freaks out, goes head first, spears her head into the pit, whiplashes her legs over her head. Which then turned into a whole, like, trying to get her out. Her head couldn't move right. She, she came in next week with, like, this big contraption around her neck. And it's like, because you didn't commit your whole self to the flip. 
When Paul writes for his followers of Jesus to not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, there are a few dynamics that are worth catching here. First, when he references world, he's not referencing the physicality of creation. Like he's not thinking of the globe here, if you will. Rather, there's a, this is a reference to the dominant structure or system that began operating when humanity separated itself from God. So this is like the perspective, if you will, that, that has cascaded down from Adam and Eve to us of how it's bent and distorted of how we view the world. That's what he's talking about when he says the world. So God's word is calling us to not continue living according to this structure or system or way of living. Second, when Paul references the renewing of your mind, the mind is not just a reference to a person's brain. It's also a reference to that part of us where we translate or map the world around us. This is where the perceptions and emotions and directives for how we are going to engage with the world around us are formulated. Third, the renewing that is referenced is not just a refurbishing of our perspective of life. I've mentioned this a little bit already. Rather, it's a referencing to a totally new perspective of life. So God's word is calling us to be detaching ourselves from the distorted perspective of life that we had when we separated from God. And instead, receiving the new perspective of life that we gain by being united to the life of Jesus. And the way that we receive this new perspective is by offering our whole self, our entire life, to God as a living sacrifice with each and every breath. So in view of God's mercy, in view of the deliverance from death to life that God offers to us, God's word calls us in Romans 12 verse 2 to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. On one hand, this word could seem odd to the religious culture or would not seem odd to the religious culture of Paul's day. It would and it wouldn't. On one hand, they're used to sacrifices. The Jewish uh, portion of Paul's audience or anyone from his background would be like, yeah, I, re- I remember that. Look back to the Old Testament. Sacrifices were there all the time. But beyond <clears throat> Jewish worship, similar sacrifices were also offered in Roman cultic worship as well. But the difference of what Paul is talking about here is that no one dies with the sacrifice that he's mentioning here. They would understand the term of sacrifice, something dying or someone dying. But living sacrifice, what, that's, that's different. I've never heard of that. The oddity, as I just mentioned, is that we're talking about a living sacrifice. The sacrifice of followers of Jesus is to be a living sacrifice and that it happens with each and every breath that we take. Jesus' death was the last fatal sacrifice that was needed. So this sacrifice isn't a sacrifice displanting the once and for all impact that Jesus' death accomplished to free us from sin and death. Rather, a living sacrifice is now the avenue through which followers of Jesus can begin to experience the freedom and new life that Jesus secured for us through his death and resurrection. A living sacrifice is where we offer our whole self to God for him to give us a different perspective of life. Sacrificing our distorted perspective of life for God's truthful perspective of life. This is what a living sacrifice is about. And what we, and we are called to make this sacrifice with each moment of life and each and every breath of life. When I was in college, 
Um, my college was pretty small. There's only a few buildings on campus. And so it was a pretty easy walk from the dorm to where the academic building was. And I went to school in Missouri at Central Christian College of the Bible. And my dorm was east of the main academic building. And hopefully you can see the picture here. So this building over here was my dorm. And so we'd have to walk across this sidewalk to the building that's up here. It's a little bit distorted. But when I first arrived, you'd have to walk up this to the point of where this grassy area is. And you'd have to walk up or over or walk over and up to get into the doorway. Well, over the course of my time there, students thought, well, you know, the quickest way to get between two points is a straight line, so we're just going to keep walking through the grass in that grassy area to the point where the school actually put a sidewalk in because people walked on it so so much. How do we unmold ourselves from the pattern, from the distorted perspective of the fallen world? And how do we remold ourselves into the pattern or truthful perspective of Jesus' life? Well, we moment by moment, breath by breath, step by step, offer our life to God. Just like this sidewalk got put in step by step, it wasn't like one person walked across it and that changed everything. It took multiple people, multiple times, step after step after step after step, to make that path there to where it ingrained it there to where the school had no choice but to put a sidewalk in. It transformed that space. But it took moment after moment after breath after breath after step after step to make that happen. And the same is true with our lives and being transformed into who God wants us to be. We moment by moment, breath by breath, offer ourselves to God and allow him to reshape and reform how we view the world. In doing so, we position ourselves where God's spirit can renew our perspective of life. Paul references this work of God's spirit in Titus 3 verse 5, where he says, He, referencing Jesus, saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. There's that mercy part again. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. We, come, we can come to see the truth of reality by what God's Spirit reveals to us. This isn't something we do in and of ourselves. It's something we submit to, we submit ourselves to God, and in the process, His Spirit transforms us. One way that we see this, or could see this take place in our life is that, well, maybe we used to think that hating another person was normal, but that's actually the distorted perspective of life. Actually, the truthful way is to love another, to see their dignity and value as a person made in God's image, to bless another because you get your identity and purpose from God, not from how another person views you or treats you. That's one way in which this could come about. And there's a a lot of many, many, many other ways that God can transform the way we view the world from his perspective. We can come to see the truth of reality by God's spirit revealing God's perspective to us. But this is not a passive experience on our end, as I mentioned. Rather, we are active recipients and participants in engaging what God's Spirit reveals to us. God can offer it to us all He wants, but we still have to receive and live into that way of life. We participate in this process by moment by moment, breath by breath, offering our life to God and allowing His Spirit to renew our approach to life. Romans 12.1 describes the offering of our bodies as a living sacrifice as true and proper worship. The worship referenced here is both a gathered, what we're doing here right now, and a, 
and has a scent dynamic to it as well. This, when he's talking about worship, the perspective of life isn't just different here on Sunday morning, but it's different in every way we interact with the world around us. And where do we position ourselves to receive revelation from God's spirit? Well, again, we do that with what we're doing here right now. Encountering God's perspective of life through song and prayer and God's word and communion in our interaction with each other, reminding each other of the good news that God offers us. But this is not a once a week thing. Rather, each and every time we position ourselves to God to then we can be renewed by his spirit where that could happen through reading, listening or meditating on God's word throughout the week, hearing God's good news declared to you by a friend over coffee or the prompts of God's spirit in situations where we can live out God's perspective right here and now. The more often we offer our life to God for his spirit to renew us, the more often we can make God's truthful perspective of reality permanent and normal in our life, just like the sidewalk on my college campus. To see the truth of reality, offer yourself to God with every breath. To see the truth of reality, offer yourself to God with every breath. Today, you too can begin this journey of offering your life to God to begin seeing life as he sees it. You too can begin that journey by uniting your life to Jesus and faith through baptism. If that is you, I invite you to uh, find me or anyone else here who is a follower of Jesus and set a time to look at what the scriptures have to say further on that matter and take that step in your life. But if you're already here and you've begun this journey, today I invite you to once again offer your whole life to God. Again, maybe you intellectually know that that's what we're called to do as followers of Jesus. But maybe you functionally are withholding parts of your life beyond this moment each and every week. But you'll never see life as God sees it unless you offer your whole self to him. To see the truth of reality, offer yourself to God with every breath. To see the truth of reality, offer your whole self to God with every breath. Would you join me in prayer as we close? Father God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you have been merciful to us. Thank you that you weren't willing to just leave us in the death-oriented position of life that we put ourselves in. Father, on our own, our life just self-destructs, and we we destroy the lives of those around us. Father, thank you for sending your Son and also sending your Spirit to be present in our life, to shape and mold and call us to the way of life that you designed, the fullness of life that you have for us to live into. Father, give us the the faith and the ability to offer our whole selves to you. Even though we don't know what that may look like in doing so, we trust that you give us the full and clear perspective of life in doing so. And we look forward to that end result in doing that. Father, thank you for being so awesome and gracious and allowing us to see life as you see it. Father, it's by the power of your spirit and through your son Jesus that we pray this. Amen.